1: Amen. Amen. Thank you, Chuck. Turn with me to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. When my grandma was in her late 60s, early 70s, I used to ask her, Grandma, what's it like to be old? She'd say, I'll let you know when I get there. I'm not old yet. It wasn't until... About 15, 20 years after that, when she was in her late 80s and then into her early 90s, and I, she'd talk about being old, and I'd say, Grandma, you used to say you're never, you're never going to get old. You're never old. It, old is a mindset. She said, Well, I'm old now. <laughs> I say that because tonight we're not going to talk so much about the saints of old as we are the old saints. And uh, I'm going to let you decide where you fall on what determines who is old and who is not that's between you and the Lord uh, and your dentures but um, (laughs) I asked the deacons right before we came out I said "Do you guys know any good uh, jokes about being a senior and I said well Scott you work with seniors you you must know some good jokes and he said does it have to be a joke (laughs) and then Elmer said being a senior is no joke it is no joke but I, when I think of my uh, my grandparents, we had a lot of fun, um, and my grandfather always had a joke. My grandma used to complain that he couldn't remember five things from the grocery store, but he could remember 500 jokes and the punchlines, and I don't know how many he actually told. It's you know They tell you, um, write things down, and you think, oh, I'll remember, I'll remember, and then it doesn't take until you get old where you begin to forget the things you think you'll You'll never forget, but we're talking tonight about what it is like to be a senior in the church and specifically what does God expect from seniors in the church. But let me say that God expects there to be seniors in a church Uh, in the church today in America. One of the major problems that we have, we have churches on the one hand that have no young people. That's all old people. And then we have other churches that they have no old people, it's all young people. And what we see in Titus chapter 2 is that the biblical expectation is that the older and the younger are in the same body, ministering to one another, working with one another, shoulder to shoulder. There are so many things that I learned about faith and about service from my grandparents when I was a kid. My dad is at least until the end of June, is the senior pastor at Grace Bible Church, which was um, not the church where I was saved, but it was the church I was born into. At at one point, I was the only kid in the nursery uh, when um, mom and dad were were young and attending uh, uh, Grace Bible Church. But the reason that Grace Bible Church still exists in Altoona, in uh, uh, Haldiesburg, is because decades ago, when the church was in financial jeopardy because of some uh, horrible financial decisions that were made not by the deacons, um, but by uh, a pastor who had too much authority that he could not handle, and he made some terrible decisions that put the church in jeopardy, Uh, my grandfather, and I believe it was four other men, uh, maybe five other men, mortgaged their homes to pay the church's bill. And now, my dad has had the opportunity to be the pastor of that church, and it's uh, a way that God has blessed uh, the sacrifice that my grandparents made. Right? Because that wasn't just that wasn't just my grandfather who was who was uh, uh, risking the mortgage. That was my grandparents. We have so much that we can learn from one another but there are, with the privileges of being a senior, there are also some responsibilities. And so, as we have seen in chapter 1, we come to the book of Titus to learn about the importance of advancing the faith, proclaiming the truth, and inspiring godliness. And chapter 1 says if we're going to do this, we need to make sure that we have the right leadership and that that leadership is going to Speak the truth is going to be faithful to the faithful word and is going to use the faithful word of God because the authority is not my opinion. The authority is not DJ Richie. The authority is Jesus Christ and it is revealed through his word. And so we must be faithful to the word of God because I have an opinion just like you have an opinion. And sometimes just like yours, my opinions are wrong. But God's word is never wrong. And so we must cling to the foundation of God's word. And we must be willing to use God's word to confront false teaching. And that's what we talked about the last time we were together in chapter one. The importance of using God's word to confront and expose and correct false teachers in the church. And there are a multitude of them. If we want to advance the faith, we have to proclaim the truth. But as we get into chapter two, we're reminded that we also need to live out our Christ-like obedience to God. The point of truth is not to fill our heads with knowledge, but to fill our lives with obedience, to inspire us to godly living. And so after establishing the importance of elders and the specifically the overseer who is going to do the bulk of the teaching to the church, who can and will teach sound doctrine. Paul uses that term, and it is used to confront and expose false teachers. After Paul establishes that, he moves now in chapter two to the third theme of this short epistle, the elder's responsibility to use God's word to inspire godliness. And so in chapter two, we see the importance Of doctrine as it relates to deeds. There are some false ministries that say deeds, not creeds. Deeds, not creeds. Well, friend, how do you know what deeds unless you have creeds? How do you know what deeds we are supposed to do if you have abandoned the authority of God's word as the absolute truth? Then deeds just become based on popular opinion, deeds become a a democracy. And the deeds of the church must not be determined democratically. They must be determined by divine writ, by divine inspiration. And so what Paul is going to show us through Titus, as just as he did with Timothy in first and second Timothy, he's going to show us that our doctrine determines our deeds. Our doctrine defines our deeds. You cannot have consistently right deeds unless they are first based on consistently sound doctrine. If you leave port in a ship heading across the ocean and your bearings are off by just a fraction of a degree, you will not end up anywhere close to the destination Intended for you because eventually that small, small fraction of a degree will lead to miles and miles of distance, nautical miles separating you from your intended destination. But definitive doctrine will determine. Right deeds. It will drive us to right deeds. And so, sound doctrine, as Paul says, must be declared and defended with clarity, with consistency, with intentionality. And the reason for that is because you're a sinner and I'm a sinner. And we need to have our sin nature confronted by God's truth and God's reality on a consistent, yes, daily basis basis and so we have to take god's word and use it to confront truth because as paul says in romans 1 men by nature suppress the truth and ungodliness jesus said in john chapter 3 when he spoke to nicodemus he said god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life for god sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that through the, that the world through him might be saved Well, then why isn't everybody saved, Jesus? Because he that believes, he that believes is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the condemnation, Jesus said. This is the verdict. This is the judicial verdict that light has come into the world. But men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. See, nobody goes to hell because of their sin. They go to hell because of unbelief. Sin is paid for. Sin is paid for. Jesus Christ has paid the sin debt of all mankind. And so Jesus said, he that believeth not is condemned. See, the debt is paid for, but if you don't accept the payment, then then it rolls right back on you. If you don't accept the payment that Jesus made when he shed his blood and died on the cross for you, And rose again victorious. If you don't accept him as your savior. As the only way to be forgiven. As the only way to receive eternal life. And call upon him to be your savior. And to save you from your sin. Then that sin debt rolls back onto you. And you pay the consequences that you never needed to pay. And you have to pay the debt that Jesus had already paid for you. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Because he has not believed. So we need. To be reminded, even though we're believers, we're still sinners. That's 1 John chapter 1 and 1 John chapter 2. We're still sinners. We still struggle with the sin nature. We have not yet seen Jesus, chapter 3 of 1 John, and so we are not yet made like him. We still struggle with sin. But thank God we have the advocate, Jesus Christ, our high priest. But we still need to be convicted, and we still need to hear the this is and the thou's and the thou shalt not's. We still need to hear the thou shalt nots. And so tonight we're going to hear what Paul tells Timothy. He needs to use God's word and he starts with those who should know. Those who are, the word he uses is aged. Those who are aged in the faith. We're only going to look at the first four verses tonight, but let's read down a little bit past those four verses in chapter 2 so you see the breadth of what Uh, Paul is saying here, and then we'll walk back just through the first four verses. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, But speak thou. Now in the Greek, let me stop just for a second. In the Greek, there is a contrast. But you rather instead unlike. That's what you would see in the Greek. If you were reading the Greek, you would see that Paul is saying, Don't be like the false teachers of chapter 1. But you be different And you, unlike the false teachers, speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity and patience, the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober minded in all things, Titus, showing thyself a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Now let's stop there. This is a message for The aged and the young, wherever you track with that description, you track. This is a message for those who have family. This is a message for those who are just servants, part of the servant class. This is a message for leaders. Setting the example that God has called us to set as men who handle the word of God. We are all part of this message but tonight we're going to give some basic directives specifically for the ages for the aged those who have lived the ages definitive doctrine driven deeds definitive doctrine and definitive doctrine driven deeds for the ages now notice there are four basic directives here for aged men in Verse two, four things that aged men are expected by God to be. Number one, sober, sober. The word means not intoxicated. Now, it specifically deals with alcohol, not to be intoxicated by alcohol. But the application is much broader than just alcohol. Men, we are not to be under the control of anything, any substance, any behavior. We are not to be under the negative influence of any intoxicant. We are to be clear-minded, Helps Word Studies defines this word, clear-minded, circumspect, free from life-dominating influences. So men, we're not to be under the control of anything, or anyone but God. And the reason that so many churches are so weak is because so many men are addicted to pornography. So many men are addicted to substances like alcohol. So many men are addicted to the pursuit of fame. So many are addicted to the pursuit of money. We are not sober men. And if we want the church to accomplish what God has set as our expectation to advance the faith and proclaim the truth, we must live the truth. We must live the faith and not be under the influence of anything. We must be sober. Only the Spirit should be intoxicating us. As Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, be not drunk with wine wherein is debauchery, but be being filled with the Spirit. We should be under the influence only of the Holy Spirit. Number one, be sober, men. Number two, be grave. Be grave. This doesn't mean you show up at church looking like you're headed for the grave, okay? It doesn't mean you show up Looking all moody and mopey and grumpy. Looking like uh, you know you've been. Uh, I remember hearing Mark Lowry saying that He went to a church and the 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 um, we don't have deacons like this, thank the Lord. But looking like uh, one of the deacons was sitting up on the front and looking like he had been sucking um, uh, gasoline out of a hose to try to get it into his car. And I, he Mark Lowry told a lot funnier than I just did, but. The point is, sometimes we come to church and we just look miserable. That's not what the word grave means. It doesn't doesn't mean be miserable, look miserable. But it means be venerable. Strong's concordance. Be honorable. Be serious. Be dignified when it comes to the things of God. Now again, my grandfather loved to tell jokes. And he was a silly man. Sadly, I I wasn't um, old enough to really remember my mom's dad uh, he passed away when I was just, uh, uh, I think, about about one and a half years old. So I don't really remember him, only through pictures. But I had the great privilege of uh, knowing my uh, my grandma's dad, pappy, and then uh, knowing my grandfather, pap, pap. And uh, he was, they were, there was a lot of joking at the Ritchie house. You know, if if the Ritchies like you, they're gonna give you a hard time. Um, so that's just that's just part of it. I mean. When when I was dating Gigi, I mean Gigi, welcome to the family. They're, you're going to get a hard time. They're going to give you a hard time. That's just it's just part of being a Richie. And my son already has the Richie attitude. He's already got the Richie sense of humor. It's it's genetic. But when it came to the things of God, when it came to the work of God, when it came to uh, being obedient to God. Uh, I have a tremendous testimony in in my family of venerable, honorable, dignified men. Spiritually minded is really what this word means, that we come to church with an attitude of dignity and seriousness about the, the task, the mission that God has entrusted us with. Number three, be sober, be grave, And men, we need to be temperate. We need to be temperate. Temperate uh, helps word studies, defines as safe or sound because moderated, referring to what is prudent because correctly, divinely balanced. So temperate means to be moderate and it means to have balance in your life. It's very easy to get out of balance. It's very easy for a man to get out of balance his work life and his home life to get those out of balance. It's very easy for a pastor to get out of balance with his family life and his church life. It's very easy, men, for us. We are not. We think, well, I'm not, I'm not sinning. I don't have porn on my phone. I don't have alcohol hidden behind the seat in my car. I don't, I don't have anything hidden. But are we balanced? Are we moderate? We need to be men who are not only sober and grave, but also temperate, self regulated. I shouldn't need my wife to regulate me. I should be able to regulate myself. Sober, grave, temperate, and then notice this number four sound. Sound. Now he's going to define soundness in three ways, but the word here is hugia'ino. Hugia'ino. I just wanted to try to say that. I wanted to see if I could get that out. It's the Greek word, hygieno. It's the Greek word from which we get our English word, hygiene. Hygiene is how we transliterate that word into English. Hygiene, I can say. It means properly, uh, this is again, um, helps word studies, in good working order, healthy, in sound condition, again, in Balance. We are to be healthy men. We are to be balanced in our lives. Remember 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23. We uh, shared this verse a few Sunday mornings ago. That we are to be sanctified in our spirit, in our soul, and in our body. The whole person, God is interested in all three aspects of our, of our being. We are tripartite beings. We have a body, we know that. We have a soul, a mind, we know that. But we also have a spirit. And our spirit is distinct from our mind. And we need to make sure that we are cultivating and nourishing, nourishing all three aspects of who God made us to be. I remember hearing uh, the late Adrian Rogers at uh, I think it was when he was at Liberty that I that he I heard him share about this, that the body is the part of us that connects us to the world beneath us. The soul is what connects us to the world around us and the spirit is what connects us to the world above us. So we live in three realms. We, we live in the realm of the body. We live. We have physical needs. We have physical limitations. We also though, have a mind and we have mental needs. We have emotional needs that we need to make sure we're taking care of and cultivating. And we also then have spiritual needs to grow in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, to grow in the grace that he's given to us. And we need to make sure that we're cultivating in all three of those areas. If I know if I don't take care of my health at all, even if I'm just all spirit, 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 and I don't worry about my emotions and I don't worry about my body, I'm going to burn out. I'm going to burn out because I'm not just a spirit yet. You live that way. You're going to be in the spirit real fast and you're going to leave the body behind for a while. We have to take care of the whole person. We have to be sound, healthy, balanced. And notice he emphasizes the three ways here in faith. In charity and in patience. Faith, we, we understand the word faith, right? It means to be persuaded. It means to believe. And it emphasizes that we need to be men who are trusting in God and in his word. Hebrews 11 is a model for us. Most of the people mentioned, not all of them, but most of the people mentioned in Hebrews are Men, men, we need to lead the way in faith. That doesn't mean that women aren't to be women of faith because we see Sarah listed in there. We see the mother of Moses there. We see other women who are referenced in Hebrews chapter 11. But we men are to lead the way, to lead the family, to lead the church by setting the example, by taking those steps of faith, trusting in God, trusting in His Word. Number two, we are to be sound in charity. Charity is agape. It means Christ-like love, sacrificial love. You want to study on that. Spend some time in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which by the way is not just for weddings. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is really for marital counseling. That's the love that that's the, the, the passage that deals with counseling men and wives specifically as marriage. 1 Corinthians 13 applies to, to husband and wives, but it also applies to parents and kids, and it applies to brothers and sisters in Christ. It applies to every area of our life, that we're to have the Christ-like agape love that is patient, that is kind, that doesn't boast of itself, that keeps no records of wrongs, that does all of those things that Paul goes into in, in detail in First Corinthians chapter 13. Men, we are to be men of charity. And number three, we're to be men of patience. I'm not going to try to pronounce this Greek word. But it means to remain under. It means endurance. It means steadfastness. Now, before my, I've shared this with you before, before my back gave out, I used to lift weights. And when I was a youth pastor, I had a, a teenager in my youth group whose, whose father died uh, at work. It was a work accident. It was a, it was a complete unexpected tragedy. And I did not know how to reach Casey. I didn't know how to minister to him minister to him, and so I started to go over to his house to try to talk to him, and he wouldn't talk. He wouldn't just—he would just sit there. And and so after a couple times, I would—I I went to his mom and I said, "I, I said, Cherry, does he want me to come over? Does he?" She said, "Oh, he loves it when you're here. He just doesn't right now. You know, he's just been through so much. He doesn't know how to communicate." And so I thought, what can I do that, that, you know, we're guys, we don't need to talk, right? We don't need to talk, we can just, but we got to find something that we can do. And so he had, he played football and he had torn his shoulder so he couldn't lift weights, but he had this huge weight, weight set and, and his dad had built for him before his dad died, had built for him this, this incredible gym in their garage with, I mean, a squat rack and just all kinds of, all kinds of weight. I mean, spent probably thousands of dollars to set that up for his son. And uh, so I said, "Hey, can, maybe you can teach me how to, maybe you can teach me how to lift." And so uh, I actually got I got pretty into it. I mean, I was doing the creatine, and I was getting all in. I was getting pretty buff, and I was I mean, my legs were cut, and and I was doing all, I mean, I, I I was never cut up here, but I was I was cut down. My leg, I had a pretty uh, cut legs, and I was doing the I'd do those um, uh, leg presses, and I'd rack up about 300 pounds, and I'd do those leg presses, and I was, but I was also working on the squat rack, and I would, need some, I would need some support. And that, that, was, that was a lot of trusting your, your spotter, right? Trusting your spotter to be there to help you. But when I see this word endurance, that's the picture. I share this story because that's the picture that you are, you are under a weight, but you're not going to let it crush you. You're going to endure it. You're going to push back against it. Now, you may need a spotter. You may need some help. You may need the church to come around you and help you carry that load. That's Galatians chapter six, where we're to help one another carry that load and help one another when that weight is coming down on us, that we have men around us. I'm so thankful Chuck is, has told me several times. He said, listen, I'm here to help you hold. I'm like Moses to help you hold your hands up in prayer. And when your hands are falling down, I want to, you. Let me know when you need help. You let me know when you need me to help you lift my up. So thankful for that. And he, and Chuck's not the only one. We need each other to help each other. But ultimately, man, Galatians 6 says, we do have to have the responsibility to bear our own load. And so we have to have patience. We have to have but, but patience, not in the sense that we're just standing around and waiting, but in the sense that we are enduring the weight and pushing back against it. I love what James says about the patience of the farmer. He says, men, women, You need to have patience like a farmer. A farmer's patience waiting for the harvest is not to sit around and do nothing until the harvest. That's not patience of a farmer. The patience of a farmer is, I'm going to work and do what I can in preparation for what I know God is going to bring. And that's the kind of patience that we men are supposed to lead the way in. By the way, these are things that, that, that the women are supposed to have, have these characteristics as well. But men, we're emphasized here because we are to lead the way. We are to set the example for the younger men. We're to set the example for the ladies and the younger ladies. We are to set the example and lead the way. We must be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, sound in charity, sound in patience. Now, enough beating up myself and the other guys. Let's talk for a few moments about the ladies. Four basic directives for aged Women. Number one in verse three, Paul says, Titus, you need to tell the older ladies to be in behavior as becoming as becometh holiness, be in behavior as becometh holiness. That means that just as the men are to be grave, the women are also to have a character that is suitable to what is sacred to be. Strong's Concordance says reverent. Again, when it comes to the things of God, we must have a reverence. The praying grandma, the praying mom, the praying aunt, the praying sister, the praying daughter. Get out of the way when mama starts praying. Get out of the way. You see, you guys have seen War Room, right? We need, to have some, we need to have some women prayer warriors. And I know that we do. I know that we do. But we always need more. And I remember when I was the assistant pastor at Penwood Bible Church and uh, Pastor Floyd Reinhardt was the senior pastor there. I had the great privilege of working with him for the first six years that I was there, six out of seven years that I was there. And I remember towards the end, right before he got ready to retire, we just had a number of deaths Specifically, of some of the ladies in our church who were older who were prayer warriors. And I can remember uh, after the third or fourth one over about a two year period, maybe it was even shorter period than that. I don't remember. It just seemed, you know, sometimes those funerals come in threes. And it was just, I just remember it was a very difficult season. And I can remember Floyd sharing with me he said, I feel the loss of the prayer warriors. I feel their loss. I feel they're missing. There's prayer. I I can feel it in my spirit that there are not the same prayer warriors that are lifting me up and lifting up our church as there were two and three years ago. Ladies, you can lead the way in behavior as becometh holiness. Number two, though, if you're going to do that, you need to make sure that you are not false accusers. That you are not false accusers now. I know guys can talk, too, because I am one. And I know we can say some things. But the strength of a woman can also be her weakness. And that is the women tend to be more relational in their communication. Guys, we can get together and not really talk that much, not really say that much. If we're doing something, you can have two guys go out fishing together. They may not say much at all for a couple hours. You can have guys on the golf course and not say much at all that's really of any importance. That's really of any importance. Now, sometimes you get into those life conversations, as we should, but guys, we have to tend to usually, we have to tend to work on the serious talk. Women are good at that. Women are naturally more relational and communicative, but the weakness there and the danger there is that we can talk too much. And we can say things out of anger and out of emotion about people and make speculation turn into accusation. And we need to be careful, ladies, that when we are talking, that we are not being false accusers. Do you know what the Greek word here is? It's diabolos. Diabolos. Say that sounds like diablo. Yes, that's the Greek word for devil. That's what the word devil means. It means false accuser. Your adversary, the devil. Satan means adversary. Devil means accuser. And the word here, diabolos, a slanderer, a false accuser, unjustly criticizing to hurt, malign, condemn, to sever a relationship. And again, helps word studies, the root of the English word devil see ladies you need to be very careful men too the, again this is not just for ladies but the point of emphasis is for the ladies the aged ladies that in all of that conversation and all of that relation and when you are expressing your emotion you need to be very careful that you are guarded in not making accusations and 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 uh, uh, hurt and frustration turning into criticism and accusation and that is the path of diablo that is the path of the devil. And God help us when we are more like the devil than we are like Jesus to one another in the church. Be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers. Again, number three, same warning to women, not given too much wine. The Greek include now, th- there's a Greek word here that didn't get translated for whatever reason. And it's the word uh, that means enslaved. The emphasis here is don't be enslaved to a substance. Don't be enslaved to alcohol. The same warning that's given to the older men now given to the older women. And then here stated in the positive number four, teachers of good things that they may teach the young women. Teachers of good things that they may teach the young women. That teachers of good things in English, teachers of good things, that's four English words. It's one Greek word. It means attractively good, a teacher, a teacher of what is good and attractive. Properly teaching, sharing what is honorable and noble, a teacher of winsome goodness helps word studies said it is important. And we'll talk more about this, Lord willing, as we get a little farther into this chapter, it is important ladies that you make a priority of investing in the lives of the younger women in the church because guess what i can't i can't have that relationship with you ladies i can't have the same relationship with the ladies in this church as i have with the men they say that's not fair that's life that's reality i can't if a lady needs to meet with me ideally my wife is going to sit in there Sometimes because of the, uh, my wife's schedule, sometimes it has to be Robin or Stacy or someone else, maybe a deacon's wife, who, who is going to be available that I, because I don't meet with women by myself. I don't do it. I have the, the, the Billy Graham rule, as, as it's called. We need to be guarded. And so that means that there are things that the men can, can get in, in instruction and advice and time with the pastor that the ladies cannot get. And so that then falls on the older women of the church to have that pastoral role in the lives of the younger women who are struggling with their marriages. Who are struggling with child raising. And, and we'll see in the, as we go next week into what they are to teach the young ladies. But I can say it. I can speak it from the pulpit, but I can't speak it into your life on a day to day basis. We can't have that kind of an intimate relationship, ladies. We just can't. It's not reality. You're my sister. And then when we get to heaven, we'll all be brothers and sisters together, and there won't be any kind of weirdness. There won't be any kind of, of strangeness. We'll all just be one big happy family because we won't have sin nature and we won't have temptation. We won't have any of those things. We won't have to worry about even the appearance of evil. But until that day, ladies, you guys have to, you gals, excuse me, ladies, you gals have to fulfill that role in the church. It is the women who are to be the teachers of good things to teach the young women and invest in their lives in ways that the men as leaders cannot invest because of the reality of a sin-cursed world and the sin nature that we all carry there but for the grace of God go I there but for the grace of God go I and be very careful I've seen it happen I've seen it happen in my friends who are pastors not I'm not just talking even about famous pastors I've seen it happen in the lives of my friends who have been pastors and have gotten too cocky in their pastoring and thinking that they are beyond temptation. And I can remember a conversation that I had with a dear friend of mine who fell into immorality and had to and had to leave his church and almost lost his marriage. And God has been so good to him and so good to his wife and has forgiven and has restored their marriage. And now they are actually even back in ministry in a different state and not at a different at a different level of leadership. He is no longer a senior pastor. But I can remember him telling me about the woman that he had the affair with. And I failed, as an, I failed him as a friend because he was telling me things that and, and the, the red light was going off. And the warning light was going off in my brain. And he's, oh, no, no, I wouldn't. I mean, I, she's not my type is what he said. She's not my type. Well, she became his type. And so we have to be guarded against all of that And I didn't intend to go into all of that, but it needs to be said, so this is the time to say it. So ladies, be holy in your living. Be honest in your communication. Be self-controlled. And be invested in the lives of the younger women who so desperately need. Remember what it was like, ladies. Though some of you, you are raising your grandkids or you are babysitting your grandkids. Remember what it was like to be 30. Remember what it was like to be 25 and pregnant. Remember what it was like to be in, in, in that stage of life and the frustrations and the marital issues and the fears about your kids and be, be available. You say, well, they won't talk to me. Well, be available. Be available. I've encouraged our, our older ladies, and I'm so proud of our, our seniors, by the way, our older ladies who have taken this challenge, and you and all are doing this. I said, find somebody and just say, hey, can I pray for you? Even if they're not ready to let you invest in their lives to say, can, can I pray for you? What can I pray for? How can I pray for you? And we we've, we've have uh, our older ladies who are, uh, taken, have taken that and run with it, and God is blessing that, and I'm, and I'm so thankful for our, our seniors who are doing this. And so I get to tell you to keep doing what you are doing and not stand up here and tell you to start doing what you should have been doing. I get to tell you... To, That To keep on keeping on and keep doing it. But we need those reminders, don't we? All of us. Men, women, we need these basic directives. We don't ever get to an age where we get to retire from ministry. We don't get to retire. Now, health will hit us. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. But we don't get to say, well, I'm such and such an age, so now I don't have to serve God anymore. Now everybody serves me. Uh Uh-uh. No. Only when your health abandons you do you get to say, I don't have anything to give. But until, until your health abandons you, God wants you to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to be the prayer warriors of the church, to be the examples to those of us who are younger. And I'm shifting from the younger to the older now as I look at 50 years of age here and, and counting the weeks. and We're down to weeks now before I turn 50. But I'm still going to... See myself as. I'm going to be like my grandma. I'll tell you when I get old, I'll tell you, but I'm not old yet. Old is a state of mind. But so is being aged. I'm not asking you to be old, but I'm asking you to be aged in your faith and to see yourself as the example that God wants you to be. And so as, in closing, as I told you guys on Wednesday night, You really can teach an old dog new tricks. So maybe for some of us, it's time to learn some of these new tricks to be obedient to what God has called us to be. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your uh, mercy, for your grace. God, I thank you for the faithful uh, seniors in our church, God, who have set a godly example and continue to serve and continue to work for you. And so, God, we pray your strength for all of us. But God, as we look at these uh, directives tonight, God, may we, uh, by your spirit, see areas where we can grow and improve, areas that need to be shored up so that we don't fall behind in those areas, God, so that we can, God, inspire godliness in others as we live in anticipation of your any moment return. We love and thank you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're not going to have an invitation tonight, but I would just uh, uh, ask you if you have a need, I'll be around here at the end of the service for any, any prayer you might need or any, uh, any support you might need. But uh, God bless you, and Lord willing, we'll see you on Wednesday night. You are dismissed.
0: That's all for today. I hope this has made a positive impact in your relationship with Jesus. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and you'd like to know how, give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love nothing more than to share the good news with you. If you've never joined us in person, we have services multiple times throughout the week that we would love to see you at. They are Sunday morning Bible study at 9.15 a.m., Sunday morning service at 10.30 a.m., Sunday evening service at 6.30 p.m., and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. We also have opportunities for our students to gather youth group for grades 6 through 12 meets at 6 o'clock p.m. on Sundays, and our WANA program for sixth grade and under meets at 6.15 p.m. on Wednesdays. Again, we thank you for joining us today, and we hope to see you soon. But until next time, stay faithful.